Welcome to From X to Z, the ultimate cross-generational conversation on health, wellness, and self-care. Guided by inspiring Gen Z trailblazers and expert voices. I'm your host, Vicki Cornwall. Get ready for eye-opening insights and actionable tips that transform your life. In today's episode, we're talking with Rashmi Krishnasamy, future DO and advocate for community-centered care. Rashmi is a remarkable individual who's headed to osteopathic medical school. Starting her journey as a neuroscience undergraduate student, Rashmi discovered her true calling after taking a course on health development and human rights, community-oriented primary care. She holds a master's in public health from Millikan Institute School of Public Health, and today, Rashmi will define what it means to be a doctor of osteopathic medicine or DO, clarifying its whole person type of care versus a more allopathic or illness-based approach, and shed light on the importance of community-centered care. She will share her experiences, challenges, and future aspirations, showcasing her dedication to incorporating these principles into her future medical practice. Listen close to gain valuable insights into the world of community-oriented care, and discover how Rashmi's journey is shaping the future of healthcare. Let's get started. Welcome, Rashmi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Vicky? Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. We're so excited to have you on From X to Z today. Um, and we're really digging into a little bit more into community health-based care, which I think is really interesting. Um, it's a perspective that many of us don't, are not aware of. So we're happy to be talking to you today. So you are headed to med school in the fall, right? That's right. Um, I'm actually I'm headed out to Arizona to start as a first year med student at AT Still University um, in Mesa, and I'm getting ready to move out there in a couple of weeks. So I'm really excited to start right. my journey as a physician and osteopathic physician at that. So congratulations, yeah. congratulations! Thanks so much. So before going to med school, you actually worked in the public health field. Yes, that's right. Um, and I can actually give you a little bit of a, a brief uh, a history of how I kind of fell into public health. It was truly an accident. Um, so I went to college for neuroscience, and I really thought I was going to you know, come out of college and go straight to med school and be a neurosurgeon and you know, be in the super research, academic, surgical kind of space. Um, and then my junior year of college, I accidentally really was a was an elective course. I took an elective course in it's actually philosophy and ethics, um, and it was called health development and human rights. And that was the one course that really kind of changed the way that I looked at the world and and considered health and just uh, how how a lot of things uh, play into our health that's outside of the clinical space. Mm. Um, and in college, I had I had gone home home in the sense I'm, I'm a daughter of immigrants, um, Indian immigrants. And so I moved to the States when I was uh, three, four years old, but we used to, to take trips back to India all the time. Um, and one time in college, I took a trip by myself to go work out of a clinic and um, a little bit outside of my dad's home hometown. And I saw a lot of health disparities there and, yeah. you know, just like a lot of access issues. And this was the one course that I took in college that actually talked about that stuff and kind of put a name to what I was seeing. And I I didn't know what it was called when, you know, folks just didn't have access to healthcare right. because of the proximity or, um, or sorry, distance from, from a health center or different access to foods and all of that. And this course really kind of conceptualized all that for me. Um, so I took that course and I was like, whoa, this is totally changing the way that I yeah. look at 
health. Sounds eye-opening um, for, for sure. Super eye-opening. And I was able to tie my very tangible, practical experience that I had, you know, a year or two prior to that time that I took the course. Um, so coming out of college, I decided to change my course a little bit and decide to go get my master's in public health. Mm. Um, and I came to uh, Washington, D.C. To, to get my degree um, in community-oriented primary care, which is a, sort of a unique unique spin on community health, where we really focus on centering the community and centering um, the community's experiences and assets, and really define health and their health needs based on what they what they already have access to or what Mm -hmm. they would like access to. Um, And it's very much like an asset focused framework. I think a lot of times when we approach uh, different communities with healthcare access issues, or just uh, different health outcomes, then and other communities, we often approach it from a deficit-based framework where we say, oh, well, this community is having these outcomes because they don't have this or they don't have that. Right. And community-oriented primary care is a little different because it really thinks about what are the assets that already exist in that community and how can we better harness them and actually speak with members of the community to see what they want out of their health and what they want out of their wellness and how we can structure our systems to better fit their needs. Um so it was really exciting to take that perspective and different approach to problem solving in mm-hmm. in healthcare um, that I had not seen before. And and um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And now I'm going to a medical school that kind of really centers that approach as well. So I'm really excited to kind of start on that. Well, that's very interesting. So okay, now you're going to osteopathic medical school. Now you have got to break that down to us lay people because when I saw this, I actually I'm going to be honest, I was not very familiar with what a DO was, a doctor of osteopathic medicine. Please help us understand the difference between an MD and a DO. Sure. So um, that's a great question. And I think, you know, a lot of times we don't really think about it. And it's really from a from a patient perspective, there's not a, a whole lot of difference. Um, I think it, it does matter when you kind of think about the training though. Um, both, I want to start off by saying that MDs and DOs are both accredited. They go to accredited training programs in the States. They both have uh, licensure. They both take their board exams and they both go to residency. So there's on paper, um, there's no real difference in like who's more qualified or not. I think that that often comes up a lot. Right. Um, in terms of background and training, there are some slight differences. And um, the DO approach is a little bit more centered in whole person care and holistic care. Mm. Um, so that's one big, one big emphasis. And the other big difference is that DOs learn what's called osteopathic manipulative medicine, um, which basically is grounded in the understanding that the musculoskeletal system can be utilized um, and manipulated in certain ways to treat things like pain and pain management, um, different nervous system dysfunction. Um, and you know, that's, that's the high level overview. Obviously I've not learned OMM quite yet, but that's kind of the basis of it where, um, you know, instead of the, the instinct of a geophysician would be if someone came in with like, you know, pain in their leg, what's, or, you know, whatnot, they, their instinct would be, okay, let's maybe take OMM to this approach rather than jump to prescribing this person Tylenol or what have you. Um, so a little bit of background and history of, osteopathic medicine. It was founded in the 1870s or so by a man named A.T. Still, Andrew Taylor Still. Um, and he was an allopathic physician, actually. And his... An allopathic physician would be an MD. Yes, correct. Allopathic is MD. Um, and he noticed that 
allopathic medicine wasn't taking into account some of the lifestyle and other factors that a person uh, person's health is affected by. Um, so their diet and maybe their how they're living in their community and what their day to day looks like. Mm. Um, and it didn't always account for how to prevent illnesses. Um, where it was, it's a little bit more treatment focused and is very much like, let's solve the disease state that's in front of us, but doesn't always take the bigger picture of how can we prevent this disease state by not just looking at what's happening in the clinic, but also outside the clinic. Um, so taking more into, I mean, what we now know as social determinants of health, which is defined as the conditions within which you live, work, play grow, et cetera, which Mm -hmm, is, you know, mm -hmm. we spend most of our time as humans outside of the hospital. Um, So his approach was let's, you know, kind of dig into those factors a little bit more um, and see how we can prevent disease before we actually get to treating the disease. Um, So that's kind of the, the lowdown on, on DO school and the DO philosophy and the osteopathic philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super interesting. I honestly, when I, when I read about this, I was kind of like, okay, now that I understand this, that is very intriguing. That's kind of like the way I think I would want to be treated going forward. Um, And actually it's interesting because knowing what I know about like the younger generations, I feel like that that's actually more in tune with the way most people are kind of thinking these days, this idea of a more holistic approach. I was reading that the number of DOs is actually on the rise because in the last decade, the, the number of DOs in, in osteopathic medical students has, is increased by 81%. So maybe we'll see more and more of uh, DOs out, out there uh, on our insurance, yeah, in our insurance would... <laughs> plans, right? That'd be nice. I mean, that's the hope. I'm, of course, I'm a little biased with that. But, um, <laughs> yes, I, I would hope that that's the case too. Um, I think we bring a really interesting perspective to the table for sure. And and don't get me wrong, I think there's a lot of allopathic docs out there who are also, you know, especially the, the folks that are in primary care and family medicine that are also kind of integrating some of these tenants into their practice as well. I know there's, you know, now there's like osteopathic fellowships that allopathic doctors could do if they oh. want that training um, after they've kind of gone through their their MD, MD training, they can tack on an osteopathic fellowship and, okay. you know, what have you. So. Yeah, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of things to be shared, and I think it's becoming more common too now that we've you know seen a whole pandemic and we've lived through that public health crisis. Right. Um, I think you know as somebody who has an MPH and now stepping into DO, I can kind of see how they fit together a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So I think a lot of folks are thinking about it that way as well. Now, as a Gen Zer, what unique perspective do you think you're going to bring to this field of medicine? Um, that's a yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that it's really it's it's really inspiring to be a part of this generation because I think a lot of folks are are kind of demanding more and there's a lot of wonderful advocacy mm-hmm. that's happening. And um, I think that that's definitely my persona as well. Um, part of the reason <laughs> I moved to DC was because I wanted to, you know, of course get my degree in community oriented primary care, but I was really passionate about policy change and advocacy as well. And um, DC was a place that really offered that to me. Um, and I think that the generation, you know, Gen Z is really passionate about asking for change um, and not just asking, but going above and beyond and, and almost demanding it. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's a really inspiring cohort to be a part of because even in medicine, I think there's a lot of changes that are occurring with the culture of just healthcare and how folks are being trained and you know, right now, I think a lot of residencies are unionizing um, just due to how folks were being treated during the pandemic. Um, 
And it's been, there's been a lot of positive changes that have been happening um, as a result of just how passionate this generation is. Um, and I hope that I can kind of bring that to the table as well. Yeah. So continuing um, to raise that bar, huh? Yeah, raising that bar and, you know, continuing to just make it better for the folks that come after us, right? And, oh, I love that. You know, that. Not, not just for our future doctors who are about to enter the workforce, but also for our patients who, who do deserve better because, you know, we know that if, if the doctors are burnt out, you don't want a doctor who's on their like 81st hour of seeing patients. You want someone who's, who's rested and, um, you know, who's, who's okay. So I think that there's, there's a lot of change happening in the health workforce space. And then of course, there's a lot of advocacy happening around other, you know, environmental issues. Of course, climate change is really right. big. Well, I mean, we just talked about how the air quality has been bad recently. Um, and all of those things have an impact on our health. And I think a lot of med students and a lot of just folks in the health space are taking action um, to, to demand more of our lawmakers and um, the folks that are able to, yeah. you know, redistribute resources or, you know, the people that are able to kind of restructure the systems that we're a part of, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, which is, I think, a really valuable place to be. Yeah. And then I, I appreciate the idea of like, it's, you're stepping out of just, you know, the medical realm and, and into more imp- making more of an impact beyond just in the in the doctor's office. I appreciate that. I love that. Totally. And I think that was the one biggest, I think, thing that I learned also in, in grad school is that, you know, I mentioned the social determinants of health earlier and about 80% of our health is determined by what happens outside the clinic. And only really 20% of what happens in the clinic or at the hospital is determining what's, uh, you know, what our health looks like. So it's, it's a, it's kind of a, it's a big chunk, right? Like if 80% is, is what's determining how healthy you are or how well you are, um, it's about time that we start thinking about what's, what's happening in that 80% and how right. physicians and healthcare folks can, can really support patients um, in ensuring that their 80% is, is, is okay, really. Yeah. And I, it, again, this is the new way of really thinking about it, at least for the, you know, for the rest of us, us, us out here in the world. Um because I think that you think I go to the doctor that what happens in the doctor that's there that doesn't have much to do with what's happening on the outside, but they are all intertwined and it's definitely one impacts in the other. So I, I want to talk a little bit more about this consume, community centered care. Um, this is an a area or a term I hadn't heard of. I've heard of community care centers, but not community centered care. And this is what you've been speaking about. Yeah. Um, so I can kind of, maybe it'll be a little easier to conceptualize if I can provide a couple of like real world examples or stories that I've seen with patients. Um, so uh, I can you know share a little personal anecdote. So my, my impetus and really drive for wanting to go into medicine, my earliest memories is my, the passing of my grandmother um, in India. She had really horrible heart disease for a long portion of a large portion of her life. And um, we found out later that she passed away on the way to her, her getting care and like getting appropriate care. Um, and a lot of, and the, of course it was, that was like kind of the last straw, but there was a lot of other factors with access to healthy food, access to health education about cardiac care, access to quality health care, and, you know, how quickly you could get to a hospital. Um, and there's a lot of just pieces that I found out later as I kind of grew up that I was like, why does it have to be this way? Um, or why, you know, maybe it's not a matter of she didn't have access to the best surgeon out there. It was more of she didn't know what foods to eat to maintain her heart health. She didn't know why it was important to maintain your blood pressure or things like that, um, which 
seem a lot less cost uh, cost heavy and, and even just you know, it doesn't seem as complicated as getting access to a surgeon. Um, so that was something that I've always been really curious about and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. why it was that way. And then I saw similar kind of disparities when I went to that clinic that I served in in India outside my dad's village. I saw folks were having, you know, trouble folks came in with like these crazy infections and they didn't know that it was an infection that they needed to go get checked out at the clinic. Um, Or even, you know, like family planning or um, STI care. Folks didn't know what symptoms of STIs were and why it was important to get treated for them. Uh Um, And then, you know, seeing that was in India was one thing. But when I came back to my hometown of Pittsburgh here in the States, I did an internship with the American Heart Association in college, and I worked with a lot of low and lower income communities in Pittsburgh. And just looking at the distribution of hypertension and high blood pressure across the city, we saw a correlation that a lot of the lower income communities in Pittsburgh had higher blood pressure rates. Um, and when you and I actually was a health educator, we did a barbershop intervention where we stuck health educators in the barbershops and they were essentially community advocates. So I was one of those. Um, And the first like four or five weeks, I just got to know the community. I just got Mm -hmm, to know mm -hmm. who was living there, what they, what their needs were really, and what their assets were, what they already had in the community that could help to benefit their health. And, you know, they weren't telling me like, Oh, I, don't know how to take my meds on time, or I, you know, don't know how to like talk to my doctor about these things. It was more of like, well, the closest grocery store that has the best produce is like three miles away. And I have to take a bus and like some crazy amount of transportation to get there. Or I don't necessarily feel safe running around in my community because it's just, it's not a super safe place. Or I don't have access to green spaces like other neighborhoods in Pittsburgh do. Um, Or, you know, there was even some folks that were saying, I don't feel comfortable going into a hospital because my aunties and uncles, the last time they went in, they didn't make it out. So Mm -hmm. I don't want to go see a doctor in the hospital. And those are not, that's not something you can fix with a pill. That's not something you can fix with a prescription. Um, And those are what we call social determinants of health, right? Those other factors outside of the clinic that are either putting a barrier to someone's care or they're not allowing for them to live their best and fullest life so that they can thrive in whatever environment that they're in. Um, So that's, you know, that's really what the crux of community-centered care is to really consider what are these things that folks are saying that they need that they don't have. Um, You know, but on the flip side of that, some of the assets that I saw in their community was, oh, well, I love coming to this barbershop because it's a great community of men. I love my barber. I feel like I can talk to him about what's going on in my life. And he really gets me. We're friends. And that's a really core part of their community. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of the reason we we chose the barbershops was because we were focused on, um, we're focused on mostly Black men and helping them control their hypertension. And that was a really core piece of their social fabric, mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm. a really big part of, of your health as well. We don't think about that all the time, but social health and, and relationships and your community is super important. Um, and so get an opening up that conversation to talk about, like, these are the things I'm stressed out about, or like, these are the things that I am hesitant about approaching a doctor or approaching this part of my health um, was a really important part of the dialogue too. 
Um, and, you know, a lot of them spoke about how they loved to go to church with their families. And that was a really big part of their, uh, an asset per se. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they talked about that, we, we were thinking about how we could better um, integrate that into our intervention that we were proposing. Is how can we have the church community be a part of, right, you know, right. this, this effort of trying to improve folks' blood pressure? Um, yeah, I'm really and, appreciating this idea of like connecting the dots between someone, all the elements of someone's life and lifestyle, and in yeah. finding solutions in connecting of those, in the connecting of those dots. Yeah, and I think oftentimes in medicine, I think I do really think that medicine is a very investigative. Um, you know, every doctor is kind of like Sherlock Holmes in, in a sense, right? Like your your patient is coming in, presenting with symptoms, you're trying to figure out what, right. what, and how you can help them. But sometimes I think it's really important to think outside the box, right? And you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to only look in the textbook for the answer because oftentimes the community has the answer themselves. You know, like in our case, it was like, okay, well, the closest grocery store is far away and we can't afford like Whole Foods because it's, it's really expensive. I mean, I, I don't even shop at Whole Foods. <laughs> it's expensive. I'm not going to shop at Whole Foods every week. Um, whole check, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Whole check. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we did was we hear you let's ha- let's partner with some, some of the local grocery stores and offer transportation vouchers. And that's what we did. It was, you know, it was not a, a huge hit on, on the program budget and it was yeah. meeting the community where they were and they listening to what they needed. So yeah, oftentimes they have, they know what they need and they know what they want. It's just a matter of listening to what, what they're saying and hearing them. So as a Gen Z medical student, uh, how do you see the role of technology and innovation shaping the future of healthcare? Um, and particularly in the context of community medicine, because I've been reading a lot about different health tech and all these things, other things like this, but how might that be utilized in the context of community medicine? I think that there's, I mean, and this is, I think we're still a couple of years out from this kind of technology. I think there's a lot of just regulatory challenges that come with telehealth, but I think with the pandemic, we saw the rise of telehealth visits and, um, you know, we had, we really expanded access to care with telehealth immensely. Um, and I think that that, it really makes a difference. Um, you know, someone who like needs to see a primary care doc immediately and can't get to the clinic, like if you, they're able to have access to a piece of technology that can get them that access. I think that's really, um, that's a really big area of, of like community centered care and primary care, where I think we have opportunity, and I think the folks are headed in that direction. Yeah. Um, I will say, I think that as as we know, technology unfolds very rapidly, um, but our regulatory um, space doesn't unfold as rapidly as te- technology does. Yeah. I mean, the regulatory yeah. right is like licensing, and there's like variation in policies with reimbursement rates for physicians who practice in one state versus another, and telehealth laws, and there's a lot of stuff there, but. I'm hoping that we can kind of catch up because um, I think it can really expand access to a lot of the communities who need care the most, um, especially now that we've had a pandemic and a lot of communities have been left needing health care that, um, you know, there's a lot of hospitals that closed down during COVID that limited access right. to their care. Right. So I think telehealth and, you know, expanding broadband access would be really crucial to um, make sure that we're expanding care to those communities and reaching the folks that need it the most. Yeah. How do you envision the future of healthcare um, with, with regards to community medicine? And even, you know, you talked about your, your South Asian heritage um, and the integration of Eastern and Western wellness practices. Yeah. I, I envision my like pie in the sky vision for healthcare is 
you know, every doctor is equipped to teach, to treat any patient that walks through the door and the number of medical errors or medical, uh, medical errors or diagnosis, um, diagnostic safety events that occur decrease that are, you know, the ones that are related to bias or that are related to oversight Mm. reduce significantly. That's my like pie in the sky kind of goal um, or vision for the, for the healthcare system. And I say that to say, I think a lot of what we see um, in terms of health outcomes, I mean, we see that in maternal health disparities and right. the difference yeah. between with black maternal mortality. Um, and a lot of it, I mean, the fact that Serena Williams and we've had Olympic athletes yes, who are yes. giving birth to babies who, you know, who are having access to some of the best world renowned hospital systems are still facing complications. Um, and a lot of that comes to systemic bias, um, implicit bias, which, you know, are things that have been so embedded and are oftentimes, it takes work to undo it. Um, and I think it's, uh, I don't know how much it's like being pushed, I think. And I think we're headed in that direction. But I think, of course, there's more work that can be done in that space um, in terms of working towards that true equitable care delivery. Yeah. Um, and it's not just for underrepresented minority communities. It's also, you know, for women. I think a lot of women get turned away from their from needing care um, because, oh, they're dismissed because they might be on their period or they're having mental health right. stuff. Right. And, you know, personally, my experience too was I uh, definitely was, I, I had a couple of health challenges and um, about a year or so ago, I had a pulmonary embolism and I had, Whoa. I had chest pain for about two weeks and I went to an ER, I went to an urgent care and both times I was told, oh, well, you likely have a muscular dysfunction of some sort, some inflammation in your muscles that's causing your pain. And I was given painkillers. Um, and I, I went back. I mean, I went to the ER and then I went to urgent care and I tried to advocate for myself. And both times it was like, oh, well, you know, it's probably, which is fair. I mean, I'm a healthy some 20 something like coming in with chest pain. Right, probably right. I get it. Like, you know, I would understand why nobody would think that I had something serious. And then about two weeks later, I was really not okay and having a hard time breathing and went to the ER again. And that's why we were able to take care of it. But even that you know, simple diagnostic oversight of, you know, this woman is coming with chest pain, maybe we should look into it a little bit more. Uh, I think, and it's difficult from a healthcare provider perspective too, is especially with all this burnout that's happening and, you know, you're on your, again, 81st hour of seeing patients, like, how are you going to think about that? And I think to that end, I envision hopefully having a system that's more supportive of our healthcare workers um, and also having training such that folks are better equipped to handle those kinds of, you know, um, unconventional patients that might walk through the door. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, even from a treatment perspective, I think a lot of folks told me like, oh, you'll be fine within four weeks after your PE. And boy, that was a tough recovery. <laughs> I have to tell you, it was a tough, it was a, it was a tough recovery. And I, during my recovery, I turned a lot to yoga and um, pranayama, which is more like breathing and meditation that goes hand in hand with yoga um, since like my family was very much, my parents both have chronic diseases. So they kind of were like, Hey, why don't you try this as you're recovering from your PE? Cause you have to build back your lung capacity. Um, and that was something that really worked for me. And I think that, you know, I say all this to say, I think it's really important to think about what a patient's personal healthcare wishes are like, what, what's their wish list, right? What, mm-hmm. what kind mm-hmm. of philosophies would they like to 
cold too um, that might contribute to their wellness. For me, that was uh, some of the more Eastern-based tenants. I also have some ovarian health issues. And, you know, for me, it was really helpful to turn to Ayurveda, which is an Eastern um, medicine practice, one of the most more ancient uh, medical practices that, that exist. And that was super helpful for me. And uh, I think that that was when I had, you know, when I found a physician who was ready to talk to me about how I can integrate my allopathic medicine, the treatment that I was receiving with the Ayurvedic medicine that I wanted to also have and incorporate into my wellness practices. It was, it was great. I was like, this is the best of both worlds. And I can, you know, bridge the two the way that I want to. Right. Um, without feeling like I had to choose one or the other. So I, you know, I envision having a, all of us, all of us future physicians being trained in a way that we can accept and understand what patients are bringing to us um, and are ready to say, oh yeah, that sounds great. Let me look into that and see how we can incorporate both of these um, and having a system that supports that too. That's that's a dream, right? That's the vision. Yeah. That's the vision. That is the vision. That's, that's a vision. vision. I, I want to live in that place. I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So what advice... Uh, do you have for other Gen Z individuals who um, might be considering her in medicine or, or health or um, trying to help their community or health disparity or things like that? And um, particularly those interested in this community medicine area and promoting culture integration and health healthcare. Yeah. Uh, I would say get out there and be in the community. I think that Oftentimes, um, especially, you know, for me personally, applying to medical school, I thought I had to do all the things to check off the boxes, right? Like do mm. your research, get your research hours in, do your volunteering, do your shadowing. And I think it's really easy to get wrapped up in all of the checklist items to apply to medical school and like go through the motions of it. But I think the most eye opening experiences for me were the ones where I was in the community um, and I was talking to people about health and I was understanding their health needs and figuring out where those gaps were that you know, the health system might not always be providing um, and figuring out how to bridge those gaps with with both the health system and the community itself. Um, and, you know, for me, like my, my why was really fueled by the community and the community work I was doing. So I would really encourage folks that are thinking about medicine to figure out what their why is. I mean, maybe for someone else, it is research or, or it is, um, you know, volunteering, or, but whatever it is, make sure that you're thinking about what your why is as you go through medicine, because yeah. It's a very grueling path. And I think, you know, it, it, it can be easy to lose sight of your why, but that's what's going to hold you to your path and and really, um, you know, helping you to bring it back to the community and the people that you're really serving here. So that's what I would say. All right. All right. Well, Rashmi, future Dr. Krishna Swami, I'm so <laughs> happy to have had this conversation with you. Thank you so much. Um, I am so much more enlightened and I think the audience is as well. So thank you for uh, speaking with us today. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Vicky. This was a blast. I uh, I appreciate you giving me the space to you know, share a little bit about my story and uh, yeah, share what I've learned so far. I'm excited to excited to continue on the journey. If uh, if anyone wanted to uh, follow you, see see you along your journey, or um, or uh, learn more about what you're doing, how how might they get in touch with you? To the LinkedIn yeah. situation. Yeah, LinkedIn's fine. Um, it's my handle is pretty easy. It's just Rashmi K um, across both LinkedIn, Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram. Um, can follow me on Twitter, though. I think I'm going to be sunsetting my Twitter soon-ish. Um, seems to be an exodus these days. But you know, Rashmi K on Twitter, you can you can find me out there. Um, 
yeah, right. love to love to share my journey as I as I go along. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Vicky. Thank you for joining us in this informative episode with Rashmi Krishnasamy as we explore the realm of community-centered care and the role of doctors of osteopathic medicine. Here are some key takeaways from our conversation. Community-centered care. Rashmi emphasized the significance of community-oriented primary care, which focuses on understanding and addressing the social determinants of health within our communities. It promotes patient empowerment, health equity, and a holistic approach to health care. Now, that's the kind of care I'm looking for myself. Of osteopathic medicine, Rashmi defines what it means to be a DO, highlighting their comprehensive training that includes both traditional medical education and osteopathic manipulative treatment. DOs approach patient care with a focus on whole body wellness and a deep understanding of the mind-body connection. Rashmi's inspiring journey and a commitment to community-centered care serves as a reminder of the transformative power of healthcare professionals dedicated to serving their communities. Until next time, take care and start advocating for community-centered care. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Be sure to click the follow button on your podcast app to stay updated on our latest releases. Connect with us on Instagram and YouTube at From X to Z Podcast for more exciting content. We'd love to hear from you. So feel free to reach out with your questions and topic suggestions for future episodes. I'm your next host, Vicki, and you've just enjoyed From X to Z, the podcast that bridges the generations.